January 18th, 2007. It's the Watt from Pedro Show.
see. That was Thelonious Monk with John Coltrane with a partial excerpt of a live 1957 recording of a monk tune called Epistrophe. After that, we had Floatin' by Migu. Now, this is a different show. I'm not at the Love Grotto with Brother Matt. I'm at my pad here in Pedro. And I'm bringing you near two hours in Nels Klein. We did a Banyan gig last weekend. January 13th, drove up to San Francisco to play with Perk, Willie, and Mr. Steve McKay guested with us. And so I had a chance to talk to Nels. Now it was a windy ride, so please excuse the noise, but there's much righteous information. Now for those of you who don't know, Nels Klein is one of my mentors, one of my musical and spiritual inspirations, and I respect him much. So here's Nels and his wisdom. You did something with Greg Lake once, right? Oh, not music. I was in the same building with him. He didn't perform, he wouldn't do a song. He talked about his career. It was a thing for Roland Corporation. That was in the 70s, late 70s. Yeah, I was a last-minute replacement for Scott Baxter to demonstrate the rolling guitarist in the size of Shield him? Yeah, totally. Well, I had a friend that worked there. Struck and Al, the Shield him. Yeah, Al Cooper came out to demonstrate the vocoder. That was hilarious. These people had paid to come to the Troubadour to hear this, and so their last-minute ringer star was Greg Lake. And he sat there in a white leisure suit and smoked cigarettes and talked about, answered questions about his career, which at that point had been the Love Beach album, which might be the last or just like a Palmer record, I have no idea. Do you remember that record where they're like, look like stuffed dummies on the front of his hands <laughs> in front of palm trees? Oh my god. And apparently he used a, a rolling guitar synthesizer on that record, but everyone told me privately that they had to just put it there next to him, to, but he wasn't going to play because he didn't know how to use it. But neither did Scott Baxter, so I was kind of... He needed somebody who could show people what it did. That, that was like 1979. It was one of the biggest clusterfucks I've ever been part of in my life. And 
The fact that people paid to get into this was frightening. Al Cooper was great. He, had, he looked so much like Al Cooper. He had aviator sunglasses on and a football shirt. And he said, with a vocoder, he said, yeah, it's, it's really cool. You can make it sound like a choir. <laughs> it was just too much. Right. Well, they were bootleg. You just made this drive, right? Yep. How many weeks ago? A couple of weeks ago. And it was to uh, practice with the singers. Right, because you just made a record with the Nels Klein singers. Yeah, so third we had, album? Had to learn my new ditties. Third album, no title yet. But it'll be out in May? June. May, June. After the Wilco record. Yeah, different than the big pan and instrumentals. Yeah, a little bit. Usually, well, two acoustic pieces. Other than that, same old shit. Quiet songs, loud songs, long songs, short songs. <laughs> Three you might have gotten two albums out of it. Oh, yes. We, we were very productive. We ended up with a couple of outtakes and a whole other record of free improvising. Done uh, without any of electronics or distortion kind of a, hoping to dedicate it to the, to the late jazz guitarist and session guitarist Howard Robbins. Um, that was fun. Yeah, we were running way ahead of schedule, so we decided to make another record. Gotta play with uh, <coughs> Dose. Okay, have a lot. He's oh, where so you long. had the brownouts. He's playing with Good for Cows. Think? I think it's him by himself. You know, okay. he's doing on stand-up bass. The entire process of weeding out. You know that really? Black Flag instrumental record? Yeah, I know he's really obsessed with it. That, that figures. <laughs> he's doing the whole thing on solo stand-up bass. Nice. Uh, he wrote Kira's song called Kira that's really intense. Oh, cool. Beautiful. Uh, I guess he was a young man just hearing that stuff and it yeah, yeah. made a thing on his life. He's quite a musician. A really interesting guy, and it's funny because a lot of these sides of his creativity that are his his own work, I always find out about that way after the fact. He doesn't really when I play with him, he just plays with me. He doesn't tell me, "Hey, I'm doing this or I'm doing that." So it's always a surprise. Oh, <laughs> He's wow. got something else going on with his band. Um, He's he got does. a lot of collaborations, but he also has the good for cows. Right. Well, the chess being gone so much, they haven't been able to work as much. Chess has been traveling so much. Okay. I play with Scott. Chess. Chess he's got a lot of things night. going on, right? He's got his own band. Well, he's got his own band. We've got some stuff coming up this year uh, with Jenny Scheinman and Jeff Parker and me and John Schiffman. Um, but he was touring a lot with this um, singer named Madeline Peru, but he's not doing that anymore. I think he's, he's a father now, so he's going to stay home and try to do stuff more in town. San Francisco, Berkeley. And you were in New York City? It's in New York. You uh, saw Elliot? Saw Elliot. Elliot Sharp, you got a record coming out with him? Yeah, a record. Recorded in Italy? record with no title. <laughs> yeah, yeah recorded for the Long Song label in Milan. Milano. Did you go to the Domo? I did not. You gotta go there, man. That's an intense piece. Right in the middle of town. And, uh, you know, I was just there a couple weeks ago and I had my missing guys, met guys, Tom and Raul, go and 
I mean, they're still doing a lot of reconstructions. But at least 500 sculptures on the outside. And it's <laughs> You know, they just found, or not just found, but they just had a big revision on what Dante might have looked like. Oh, really? You know, he's always had this long, crooked nose and right, dour right. Yeah. face. Right, gaunt. And, uh, yeah, he's got softer lines now. I think they've got some kind of archaeological evidence and uh, computer modeling and artists involved. Now that you mention it, Mike, I, uh, my friend Fabrizio has the label on it. We walked around the roof of the double. We didn't go in. Wow. We walked around the roof. That'd be great. Yeah, it was every day. But then, like you said, there was a lot of construction, so it was yeah, right. a lot of tourists. Yeah. We yeah. walked all, all over Milan and one day off. The Galleria? Did you go where the, the tile and all the Prada and the Yeah. 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 But I actually went to this little music store there and bought a little... Uh, it's like a crackle box, a little electronics sound box. This guy makes there. It's battery powered. Plug it into my amp. It's Do you know sensitive. about their uh, jazz core scene? I have, I've heard about it. I mean, if you're talking about uh, Zoo, Zoo and, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I definitely know those and, guys. And uh, Square Ted. Okay, I've uh, heard Neo. about them, but I haven't heard. It's pretty incredible guitar. A lot of more trios. I know Zoo's got some horns. They're kind of exceptions. A lot of these are bass, guitar, well, drum, trios. Drum, bass, and drums. Right. <laughs> but sometimes they have other musicians. Uh, well, Mott's in a lot. Yeah. And it's Ken Vandermark. And Steve McKinney, who we're going to see tonight. Oh, really? He's going to play with us. Oh, he's... Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah he's part of this thing up here called the Radon Collective. Right, right. And they, they have some collaborations. But a lot of these are trio, guitar, bass, drum trios. Usually the bass player plays kind of a funk. Thing. Yeah, I've heard one of and these kind of math uh, speedo drummers, oh, and then yeah. these whaler guitars hardly ever singing. It's usually instrumental. Right. I'm in Massimo about shit. It's like five years ago. We put on some. He helped me put on some shows that was with the singers in Italy. We did a little mini tour of Massimo shows. Yeah. Played with them in Rome. With uh, Dialect also. The rap group. Yeah. I just played at uh, Vancouver Jazz Festival this last summer, and Zoo were up there, so I saw all those guys. And I saw them play with mods. And uh, actually, no, they stayed at my house when they played in LA. One night where I went to Spaceland? Uh, I, yeah, I played with them. Yeah, you were there. Dose. It was like one of the greatest bills ever assembled, except that Chuck didn't play because they would let his son in. That's right. Chuck Dukowski, Sex Ted. Yep. Yeah. Sacred play. Sacred. Did you hear about Richie Haas? No. Bone cancer. Oh, man. Yeah. You know where I first saw him play was uh, Zoop's Rift. I think I saw him in Paper Bag. And then Paper Bag. Yeah. Do you remember Zoop's Rift? Yeah, his amazing shitheads. <laughs> shitheads. <laughs> I never saw Zoops. Oh, no, I played bills with him. I'm bit. sure, I'm sure. And he usually plays sitting what down. Happened? What happened then? I don't know. But, uh, big beef heart aficionado. Beef heart zappas, but always wanted to get yeah. Trippy guy, uh, the bass player, I don't know, can't remember his name, but 
He's one of the first guys I saw to play with heavy fingernail polish. Oh. Yeah. They were good. So that's really sad about Richie. That's he's oh, been playing fives with Sacred. Yeah, yeah, electric fives. That's, I think ever since he did that, that record, the great one is dead, and then he joined, and I wish that he had been playing and they recorded that because they haven't recorded anything else, and he's been playing with them now for like five years. Yeah. <laughs> it's That's like, right. what's the up with that? I actually talked to Jack about it, because when Joe got really sick last year for a minute, yeah. Jack got all scared, and he told me, he said, you know, I really kind of put a scare into me. I thought, you know, we should be recording, and I said, Jack, man, I will lend you money to go and record some stuff. He said, no, we're going to do it. We're going to go to, to Catasonic, and we're going to do some stuff. I'll bet you anything they never did anything. I don't know what's up with that. I know he's got his construction work, but I still think at this the point that they're at now with Richie and Brian Christopherson in the band, that they're one of the greatest bands of all time. That's just what I think. No, I really like them. Big Sacred Trust fan. Jackson. The great one is dead. I've got that. I've played it. Play some more. It's great. You can't find it anywhere, I guess. But that's really a big fave. Um, you're going to go I tour with Richie's the Rovers? Okay. Well, we have a gig in Paris. But you did something last year with them, right? We did a few things. Well, the the Cold uh, Training uh, Ascension? We, a, we always do like big Ascension. We did it once in Lisbon, and we did it in uh, Vancouver at the Jazz Festival. We did it last Easter up in San Francisco. You know, these iPods you can use for alarm clocks. That's why you use for the chime. Uh. <laughs> and it also goes on for like, you know, 40 minutes. You better wake up. But I mean, it's a rouser. But have you guys recorded that? Yeah, the first time we ever did it uh, was recorded at least on Atomistic. Oh, Atomistic. And I think that the band that's playing in Paris late this month is the same as the original lineup except for Carla Kilstead, I think, cannot play violin. Jenny Scheinman and Carla Kilston. Is there a trumpet? Uh, there has been in the past, but no, not originally. Because Hubbard is a big part of that thing, man. Well, the whole idea of Ascension from the Roma standpoint is to do it with electric instruments yeah. and see if it's still Ascension. Okay. So basically, Fred Frith plays electric bass, and uh, I'm playing electric guitar, Donald Robinson. Uh, on Only drums. one bass? Uh, with Fred, yeah. We've done it with two. We've done it with Trevor Yeah, because the original had two. And uh, Lyle Ellis. And uh, we did it with Devin Hoff. Oh, wow. We've done it with Scott Amendola, Tom Rainey. It's not always the same people. Andrew Parkins uh, has done it. Chris Brown. What's Rova. consistent about it? Uh, Rova, and so far, Rova and me, I think. Okay. <laughs> it's like the uh, Willie Perkins Nexus of Banyan. Yeah, we are, I guess. <laughs> For some reason, Larry does folks doesn't seem to want to do it when I can't do it, which is very charming. But um, Dr. R. Davis was on the original. Yeah. You've got to play with him. Yeah, it's been years, though. I think he got all mad at me because um, this guy I know recorded him to make a record for a label that this guy knew, and then they you know, got a budget together and all this stuff. And, Art was all, you know, called me up and said, do you know this boy, and blah, 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 and I said, yeah, he's a great guy, and I don't know what he knows about jazz, but he's a really cool guy, and you know him, but I'm not going to mention his name, because it's just too embarrassing, and 
David Murray flew in from Paris to play on it. He had a whole band assembled, and right after, when everyone arrived in L.A. to record, this guy who ran this distributor and label pulled a plug on the whole thing. No money, and everyone was here for no reason. I got this call like from... Like he would say, standing there with my dick in my hand. Yeah, yeah, so I got this call from Dr. Hart saying, like, what's up with this? I thought this guy's your friend. And he was all mad. I never... I just said, look, man, it's not his fault. I'm sorry this went down this way, and I haven't heard from Dr. Hart since. I think he feels like I was, like, somehow leading him astray. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. And Taunt. Very regrettable situation, if you can say that. And very, very lame. And this... Friend of mine, he's not a good friend, he's just somebody I've known for years and years. I'm sure I had no idea this guy was gonna flake. Anyway, it was bad. I haven't talked to Dr. Ryan since then. Oh man. Yeah. I saw you do something at Lacma, man. That was righteous. You played with uh, uh, Bobby Bradford. Yeah. Yeah, that's when he and I first played together. The craziest gig of all was at Orders books and music in Long Beach a few years ago. We played a free concert as a trio with me and uh, Dr. Art and Billy Higgins. Oh, wow. That was a little nerve-wracking. That would have been one of Billy's last gigs. It, it was about a year before he died. Yeah. It sounded great, man. I Did you get a recording of it? I have a cassette bootleg. I stuck a cassette player under my, under my chair. <laughs> Your hair? Under my chair. Oh, your chair. I had my amp up on a chair. Oh, like I just the rich thing on the bus. Kind of stashed it under there. <laughs> you want a job or you want a beard? Hey, man, I've, this bass player played with it, Kermit Driscoll was on. He was that on band. that he bus. He was on that bus. Oh, he said those, man. He said those guys totally deserved what they got from Buddy Rich. They were sucking out loud. I said, how many times did he fire you, Kermit? He just, oh, I think about five. He always rehired me the next day. <laughs> but he, he said those dudes played weak. See, we yeah. never get to hear, so we don't know. And we get all this sympathy, sympathy for, or empathy for them. Well, I mean, I don't think there's too much excuse for the rage-a-thon. <laughs> but, but he said they were pretty much sucking when he, when he was letting them have it. <laughs> but he fired Kirby. Of course, it had to move on, times. though, to more important things like beards. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, get to the real meat and potatoes, you know. Notes, rhythms. Uh, now let's I, get to the. Important. I heard a story that they, you know, they would play it quite often at Disneyland, and the Buddy Rich Big Band would. And he went off on some guy's sock choice, like he was wearing the wrong color socks, and he cussed this guy out in front of all these kids and their parents. He had a complete rage fit at Disneyland about this guy's socks. It's <laughs> <laughs> probably. I wonder if that was an all LA band. Yeah, right. <laughs> Try me. Don't think I won't. Too late. <laughs> it had enough for you to take me to the union. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> yeah, this is the black belt in karate. How many heart attacks did you have? Oh, man. How dare you! <laughs> That's the thing, the contempt in the voice. Right, right. I mean, it is a rage of thought, but then there's, you know... And then the total resignation. They're not my kind of people. <laughs> not in <laughs> I forgot about that you know, line. <laughs> I'm up there! 
feel busting my balls. How dare you? You're breaking my heart up there. I got a uh, friend of mine from junior high school works at the Smithsonian in Washington, D.C. Yeah. In the uh, Museum of American History. And she gave, she arranged for Wilco to have a little private tour while they're rebuilding, reconstructing the museum of the uh, musical instrument archive. Oh, wow, I saw some of that there. And they had one of Buddy's snare drums. Yeah. And Dizzy's horn, or one of his horns. But none of it was, was on exhibit because they just right. let us walk around. And so I held Charlie Christian's guitar. Wow. That was kind of a mind blow, I gotta tell you. Was it light? That was one of those beautiful, you know, beautiful, you know, it had, guess what? It had the Charlie Christian pickup. <laughs> but was it really light? Yeah. I would figure. It's a beautiful jazz box. And, and also the wood just being older and dried out. It was great. And they had the... You just held it, you didn't play it. No, you know, it was all, the, the strings were all slack. They were, it wasn't tuned. Is that a good thing to do? Marriage, you're always supposed to have some kind of tension unless it's flying. I think they should have it under tension myself. Yeah. Or the neck will go. They had a guitar that belonged to Libba Cotton. That oh, was, wow. That was fun. We held that. Cotton picking. Yeah. yeah. She came up with that style that Bob Dylan used early on. Yeah, totally. And uh, actually, the mind blow of mind blows was that they had stuff from their... Uh, Popular cultural collection. Popular culture collection. It was just sitting in uh, these big cabinets, which is all stuff that was normally under glass. You know, just sitting there because it has to be stored somewhere while they completely redesign the interior of the museum space. Right. They said, well, "I wonder what's in this cabinet," and they opened it up, and all in one cabinet, just sitting there. And I know there was more that I can't remember was uh, the first singer sewing machine, the first Barbie, Minnie Pearl's hat, the microphone that FDR addressed the nation on, um, that was on his desk, um, the first polio vaccine in a vial, uh, penicillin culture in a petri dish uh, from Louis Pasteur's laboratory, um, autographed boxing gloves of Muhammad Ali, God, all kinds of really weird stuff is in there. Anyway, it was really amazing. It's like kind of jarring. All these different kind of associations you have with all these different things, all in just sitting in one cabinet. It's pretty strange. Yeah, really I like places like that. And then they have all these things left over from TV shows that have all been donated. I saw this really cool pair of boots. So I like boots. They're really scuffed up. I said, where are these boots? And no one knew. So they had to ask around and see who knew what these boots were. They were Hawkeye from Mash's boots from the TV show. <laughs> I just like these towns that appear that, that are they're actually not the town. The town is way either east or west. Right. And Patterson, when did Patterson... All of a sudden, there's Patterson, you know, <laughs> right before you, uh, you 
get to uh, uh, Westley. But Westley's a real town if you go east. Yeah, yeah. It is. But anyway, Patterson. Is that new? I don't know. Well, Wasco, you know, it's not right off that side. you got to go east. Well, same with Colanga. Right west for them. And Gustine. Los Banos. You know, people have the trippiest ideas of Cali. You know, because of this Hollywood thing. Sure. They don't know we're actually a farm state. They actually uh, drive around here. Yeah, it's beautiful. And I'm not just talking about <laughs> foreigners. <laughs> I'm talking about other U.S. people. They just no, have no me, idea... No. Of our state. So take this uh, I-5 route. Uh, but just seeing all the people. But you were there state. playing with Whiteout. Right. I mean, you know what it was trippy? I noticed. You hardly did any fret work. Uh, I know sometimes. Pedals. Sometimes when I, I think the most extreme of an example of that is when I used to play duo a lot with Devin Sarno. And Devin and I would play. I used to joke that I barely ever fret the guitar. You're doing something new with him soon, right? We're going to record together. Now, you've made two albums. One of them's Edible Flower. Edible Flowers and uh, Buried on Bunker Hill. Buried on Bunker Hill. Yeah, I made a vinyl record. made a vinyl record for... uh, Remember those guys over at No Life Records? Yeah. Well, they had a label for a minute there called Volvolo. Uh, And we did a vinyl record. The first thing we ever did was a vinyl record called Rise, Pumpkin, Rise. Now, long out of print, <laughs> as is Edible Flowers, actually. So Devin and I are going to do some recording together in a couple of weeks. I we think Edible Flowers is when his own label. No? Yeah, yeah, when he had that. It's long defunct. Defunct. Oh. He and Tom Grimley used to do that. That's right, the Poop Alley guy. Right. Tom doesn't do any of that stuff anymore. That's all over? No, he bailed out of that a long time ago. Yeah, that's where I, uh, that's where Devin and I recorded Rise, Pumpkin, Rise, and it's also where, uh, Tom and I recorded the Lord Goldicast. Governor? They have somebody named Pumpkin? Yeah, this was actually called Rise, Pumpkin, Rise because, uh, I knew that Devin really liked Pumpkin. Pumpkin was a friend of mine. Pumpkin and Chazzy from the Governor were friends of mine. I they were in the band Governor? Yeah. Okay. So we actually sort of we just took Pumpkin's hand from, from the cover of this, uh, their album, the name of which escapes me now, with a big, with a big with a picture of Pumpkin on the cover, eating some weird fruit. And so uh, we uh, just took her face out of it and just kept her hand there. Because Volvolo was just doing these all black covers, black cardboard covers. That's it, it's just her hand. She started a company that does maternity clothes. Pumpkin maternity. Yeah. I think they even have a store in LA now. They, do they live thing. in LA? No, but I think they have a store there. Oh. I know that Wendy Mullen from Built by Wendy has a store now on 3rd. Did you see Sonic Youth at Ult- Ultimars? Yeah, both times. Uh, yeah, I saw them the first time. And I thought it was really good. It was really good. Wow. Second night was even. Maybe a little bit better. Steve Shelley. I mean, he's always good, but man, he really wowed me big time. And uh, Thurston on the bass. Yeah, yeah, they played uh, The World is Red. And uh, there were some surprises in there. 
Yeah, shaking but no hell. more Brother James. Play shaking hell. I gotta get that one back. PCH. Yep. Yep. Not both nights though. I'm trying to remember now. But anyway, let's see. New pedals. I don't think there's that much. You know, I kind of tend to, especially with Banyan, stick with what works, which is always the same stuff. But yeah. I, I do have a lot of pedals. I did bring my Bidfi Electronics Pitch Pirate today, which I've never used with Banyan. Which will... Pitch Pilot? Pirate. Pirate? Yeah. Arr. Pitch Pirate. Arr, yar, har. The pitches, they'll be shifting. And you know our high school is the Pirates, right? We're San Peter High Pirates. Of course. Makes perfect sense. Black and gold. But uh, I think that's what's it do? It basically creates either a kind of a square pitch shifting wave or a curved one, which is more like vibrato. And when it's in extremely wide mode, it sounds kind of like some kind of analog synthesizer sound. But I'll probably be using it to make it sound like a broken, like a cassette with a wrinkle in it. You so, know about these Moog ones? The Booger Fugers. Yeah, John Fashani had like six or seven of them. I'm an they were at different settings. I'm an Endora C. Oh, really? Yeah. Have I seen you play one? No. <laughs> I have them, but I hardly ever use them. Is it like, like Greg the, Lake? I like the bird. You just take the picture with you standing next to it? Well, they don't give them to me. <laughs> but I like the, the Mooger Fooger uh, ring modulator. It's great. The analog delays are pretty cool. Jeff Tweedy's in love with their analog delay sound. But you like the... Uh, I like the Murph. It's a filter. No, so your thing. delay is the uh, the old 16 oh, second. The, yeah, I can't live without that. Though. Yeah. It's been acting a little funny. I hope it Electro works. Electro-Harmonix? Yeah. The one from the 80s. They reissued it, and it's not the same thing. They wasted 11. They put like a 1,000 of those rare chips on this piece of crap. I couldn't believe they didn't have the double shot. Now I'm eating, I'm frapping. I never buy these. This is kind of like Frap is like what Georgie would call his first farts in the morning. I know, I remember. That's why I'm bringing it up, <laughs> so to speak. <laughs> Torch meal. But now I have to have a coffee drink with my nuts and berries. <laughs> wow, look at that bird. Some of these birds. There's three things that keep me humble on the road. Bird spots on the side, interesting skid marks, no, interesting angles. Skid marks at interesting angles. <laughs> and then the little white crosses. Oh, God, yeah. What about Ampage? Still an old Oliver Amp. I bought a lot of stuff this year, but it's not stuff I could use with Banyan because none of it's loud enough. Even my amp's still not loud enough. Yeah. <laughs> But with uh, Wilco, you're still using the... Uh... I use Jeff Tweedy's Marshall. Right. But I bought a, um, a Deluxe Defender Deluxe Reverb reissue for home, home use. Just kind of take it to gigs where I don't have to play real loud. I don't need a big amp. Or I have a high watt Bulldog from the 70s, which I really wanted to bring for this. If I could have figured out a way to rig an extension cabinet, I might have given it a whirl. See if I get a little high watt tone on the Banyan set. That's from Ohio. I had one of those. Good sounding. Yeah. And I bought a little, uh, little tiny silver tone this year just for recording. Grungy little sounding silver tone amp from the 50s. And, uh, boy, a bunch of stuff that's in Chicago. 
Let's watch some strange guitars. Like what? I bought an Echo from the mid-60s. Italian? Yeah. From basically the no-tone, no-sustain sound. <laughs> it's really great. And, um... The tone dampener. To get rid of any unwanted tone. Right. I bought a 50s silver tone, um, kind of like a jazz guitar, a big hollow body. Five pickups. It's a really nice guitar. Kind of unusual. Can it tune? Yeah. I put a Fishman wooden bridge in it that has a pickup in the bridge, so it's kind of like a piezo pickup yeah. in the bridge, so I can now have stand up. either the pickups or the bridge sound. I can combine them. So I want working towards this music that I want to do that's really subtle and sort of electroacoustic. I want you to be able to play soft enough to be able to hear the actual guitar instantly, but still have it amplified also, and have different tone properties. Just multiple guitars over tones. Really quiet. Future so, projects. Well, that'd be one. But what are other ones you got planned? I'm going to record uh, some duets with Zena Parkins this year. Part player. Uh-huh. And, uh, New York probably in early April, and uh, really hoping still now, I know we've just done the singer's record, but really hoping to do some recording with Calvin Newborn. I don't, oh, know, wow. how to, I don't know how to make that happen exactly, but we've talked about it, we both want to do it. we got to do something to get, get this happening with Calvin and the singers, and maybe some Latin percussionists on a couple of tracks and get some groove going. Working on some material, and I don't know. So I'd like to do that. And um, and there's some other stuff coming up. I hope you can play a little bit on uh, Oak Young Lee's next record. She's a great cellist in New York. You know what it would be interesting for me to see you do with the singers is take on a Mingus song and oh. have uh, Devin. Yeah, one of his really uh, twisted Ellington-esque things. Sure, you know, the thing about those songs... That jazz cumbia. cumbia. The, they're really hard. Yeah. Well, you <laughs> know what? Cumbia and Jazz Fusion is, That's is one of my favorite records. And, and I would love to do some of that stuff. What do I do with my trail, oh, man? Pit, pit, pit the... Oh, I know what I did. Pit the... Fill in... Pit the Catholopia. Directus. Those songs are hard. Yeah, they're incredible. And, you know, the reason I did, it's kind of funny you mention this, because the reason I did the, the record of Andrew Hill music was because not only did I think it would fit the instrumentalist that I had chosen to play, but I thought it was music that was severely underplayed. No one is playing it at all. Everyone says, oh, it's so, it's so wonderful, it's so classic, it's on blue note, but no one plays it. And in a way, kind of, Mingus is kind of like that too, except the way more played than Andrew Hill, but a lot of people avoid his material, or they just play goodbye part by hat, you know? <laughs> um, and uh, I've thought about this a lot, and it would be fun to do, we did record Jackie by Thelonious Monk on this singer's session, but it won't make the record, it was just something we have threw in there, I've maxed out the format on this record, there's no room. It's like a two-minute version of Jackie we still can't fit it on. Oh. Oh, well. He's great. 
Those things that came out last year with uh, Coltrane. Oh my god. It's one of the most superhuman saxophone playing I've ever heard. That's when technique is truly noticeable. <laughs> <laughs> and spirit. And in the service of art rather than pure mechanics. Anyway, I bet you Kevin could handle it. Oh yeah. And uh, no doubt. I have a friend who shall go, who shall remain nameless, who's a music writer in Los Angeles, who has repeatedly claimed to me that Mingus is completely overrated, because if he was really any good, more people would play his songs, and he'd have, we would have had more hits, more noticed jazz standards, which I could only chafe and protest, but it's an interesting perception, certainly. like those guys calling Coltrane anti-jazz. <laughs> Why he was alive. Oh, I know. Modal jazz had no chord changes, so it was, wasn't jazz. And then, of course, he went even further out. And then they just gave up on it, mostly. You know, Ascension, they reviewed twice in Downbeat, the same issue. Point, counterpoint. For and against. Funny. I don't think it would have affected the guy who didn't like it, which take it was. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I really think that Coltrane should have gone with take two. Did you hear Ornette's new thing? The live record? He's got, he's got a new record. Yeah, it's beautiful. I have it. The band's great. It reminds me of, in some ways, some bootlegs I have where... David Isenson and Charlie Hayden both play. David Isenson takes the bow. Charlie takes the pizzicato. And uh, great stuff. Ornette sounds great. Denardo sounds great on it. Some of the best Denardo for sure on record. Really good. Yeah, good record. But I think it's in a way kind of a tease. It's almost like it's a live gig. He does reduce some older material. There's a song from Song X on there, the record with Pat Metheny, which, is, which, by the way, came out a couple of years ago with extra tracks. Boy, is that great. But anyway, um, that band's been playing together now for a while. They yeah. rehearse constantly. You know there's got to be something else recorded, something. It's holding out on us. There's something else going to come out. Todd. And I want to hear it. Yeah, I need a little Todd going on. <laughs> the sound of me eating almonds, folks. There's two Toby's going to make a solo album. Solo, solo? Or another, like Psychic like Heart. Psychic Heart? That sounds like a good idea. Last time I took this rough drive, two weeks ago, yeah. somebody, it must have, maybe they fell asleep at the wheel or something, as I was approaching, I saw this big cloud of dust and somebody had actually spun out and ended up facing the wrong direction all the way in a field. There was car was at least wasn't upside down. Yeah, it was on all the tires. Yeah. I have a question for you, Mike. Yeah. Well, there's. Are a you going to tour uh, in the fall in the states at all? I know for sure there's a Stooges tour April, all of April, and they were talking about maybe October. And I had, uh, you know. 
told Ig that 2007 I would, you know, give him. So I can't really plan that much. Yeah, this is like my life. But I really want to. Like, I'm sorry, I can't plan that. Well, if you do, yeah, I would like to for you to consider maybe doing some opening Wilco stuff. And I think everybody would want you to do it if you're interested. What, busy man? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're a new band still, but we're going to tour like crazy in the States in the fall. It'll be some big shows. Well, you know, Jeff Tweedy's first instrument was bass. Yeah, I played with him. Yeah, uh, with Firehose and uh, Uncle Tupelo. And guess who his favorite bass player was? He didn't pick, pick up the bass back then. Did yeah, Jeff uh, record Billy Bragg? They did the, the Mermaid Avenue sessions. They did the, the uh, Woody Guthrie lyrics that were in that suitcase, in that box, that's written about in the Dylan Chronicles. Oh, you know? oh. So somehow Billy Bragg got a hold of those and made, made two CDs, sort of trading off singing. Um, He's born on her birthday, Billy Bragg. Oh, yeah. And we still, Wilco still plays the, a lot of those songs that Jeff sang on those. Some of my favorite stuff we do, actually. Mountain Bed, uh, One by One. California stars, you know, it's good stuff. You spend a lot of time in Chicago. Yes. Yes, I do. I like the music scene there. It's very, uh, there's a certain militance about it that isn't too obnoxious. It just means that they do a lot for themselves. They really know how to put on a music festival. They seem to have a lot of them. People seem to go to them. Nice. There was a big one, right? Touch and go. Touch and go, yeah. But Pitchfork was cool. Um, they do Intonation Festival. Maybe back into oh, because the Crayola. McIntyre is moving to L.A. Is he? His studio. Selma's coming west. Uh, Tom wanted me to record with McIntyre. Yeah, you should. Oh, Does wow. excellent work. Yeah, I got to talk with him. At, we did an all tomorrow party together. But, you know, it's funny that this has come up because I was just thinking yesterday that I should uh, email him and see. You know, he was talking about possibly being in LA as early as this month. Wow! And I haven't heard anything about it. I was going to try to see if I could help him find a space or what he's looking at or do any field work for him. Um, so I'm actually, gonna, when I get home, I got to write him and see what's up. I'm sure he has a lot of people taking care of stuff, but um, yeah, he wants to bring his whole analog synthesizer wall to, uh, to Los Angeles. It sounds risky to me, but at the same time, he could offer something maybe a few others could offer, and even if he's only getting some kind of a percentage of the amount of work that goes on in L.A., it's a pretty high percentage maybe compared to Chicago for all I know. I don't know how much... Which is me that, you know, after hearing people rank on my town yeah. for so long that people actually will have think about moving, <laughs> coming to it. But, you know, my new thing is I don't defend it anymore. Now I tell people to hate it. I tell all their friends to start hating it, too, because then maybe it'll take under an hour for me to get from my mom's back to my place. <laughs> Stay out. 
I just tell the Pedro I like the raspberry. Well, that's true. <laughs> Even a lot of Pedro people, they don't know because they just, you know, TV party. <laughs> couch. Guard the couch. See, you guys don't know. My dad grew up in San Pedro. And he was born downtown LA. I moved when he was about four. So all my dad's side of the family growing up is always trips to Pedro and um, my ex-wife's parents met in Pedro they live in Carson they live in Pedro now and my friend Carla who I met through Mike right. Pedro Pedro <laughs> so Dallas yeah but he's a usual for LA guy a lot of uh, SoCal people don't know Pedro no they never even go there yeah because we're at the end of the freeway, you don't really pass through. A lot of people don't know where it is. Yeah. The only time my Volvo ever stranded me was on this drive. Right up here. I thought, uh, oh, it was a trooper, right? A trooper went oh. down on this drive. Yeah, that was coming from Grants to Grants Pass. Made it into California. Right. Like you left it. Blew a head gasket. Had to leave it in Reading. <laughs> Sold it through the newspaper. Took a U-Haul for the rest of the tour. That book kind of threw me because the only U-Haul they had, the only truck they had available, was way too big. So we had our Carl and I had our gear just in the little corner. Just you know, two people. We had a lot of gear for two people. It was just in the. Then I had to drive through San Francisco rush hour to make it for a radio thing that we were doing. And I was freaking out. <laughs> the thing was so big, and it's like San Francisco, yeah, cars yeah. everywhere. This bus pulled out, took half, half the mirror out, just bashed right in the mirror. Ooh. Didn't even stop, just kept going. Yeah. Unfortunately, when I turned in the truck, they didn't notice. I thought, oh no, I'm going to be buying a mirror at three times the price. But no. I lucked out. Yeah. Sometimes you gotta do what you gotta do. Yeah, yeah. Because there's no, there are no engines to replace. Sure, sure. Those, those old Susan Trooper engines. There's nothing. There's it was nothing out of the race. The, and of course, we had just tinted the windows, put in the car stereo, and the alarm. Most important. Just white columns of white steam pouring out of the back of the car. Is there gear out now? Notice that you'd like to get pedals, amps, <laughs> guitars. Man, I just got the my Holy Grail guitar. Just now, I'm embarrassed to talk about it because it was expensive. But I bought not like you'd like to get, but you did I got get. it. Wow. I think I better stop. Now. My friend Frankie Montoro is actually custom building me an acoustic guitar. Yeah, so I'm supposed to get that this spring. And uh, really, the only thing. What is it? Spanish? It'll be a steel string. string. Steel oh, steel string. string. Yeah. It's built under tension, slightly arched top. It's, I'm not. I'm, I'm having him tell me as little about it as possible because I kind of want to be surprised. He knows what I like. And he's a genius, so we'll see what happens. This is where my car went out of commission. I actually nursed it all the way up this ramp and got it right to that stop sign. And then it poured rain right as I got out of the car. <laughs> <laughs> it was fun. But guess what? Scott Amendola was, had been... I had a session in LA. Yeah. I had left, and he was about 
an hour ahead of me, so he just turned back around and picked me up. Oh, great. Yeah. Anyway, um, there's really nothing out there I'm seeking to acquire at this point. I still want to, you know, well, Jerry, What did you acquire? Oh, I got the, the Gibson Howard Roberts jazz guitar. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's from the 70s, 77. The most expensive guitar I've ever acquired. joke is like it's, I've never paid up until now more than $3,000 for a guitar people would play acoustic find acoustic instruments just look at people like me and just think we're all the luckiest people alive because although stupid because we whine about spending more than $1,000 for a guitar <laughs> they have to spend 30000 for a beautiful instrument at least so yeah I'm, it was a lot I can't really justify it because I'm not going to play it all the time. But it's just one of those things. It's the only jazz guitar I have ever wanted to own. And I played it on this little recording session because I kind of got it before I bought it from the guys, my buddies at True Tone Music. Oh. And uh, where's that? Santa Monica. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Definitely a righteous store. And, uh, and that was it. I mean, I knew, I had my friend who used to work there take a look at it because he was helping out because I was trying to get him to talk me out of it. <laughs> and, he, and I said, come on, man, you got to check it out because I really got to talk me out of this. And he said, uh, this is Paul. He's an incredible pedals expert. He my pedal board and stuff. And he said, dude, you have to get it. <laughs> no! That's not what you're supposed to tell me. How many guitars do you know? No, I just don't know. Yeah, I, he's got a bunch, but they're not one place. In Chicago <laughs> and in LA. Yeah. So I've actually had to. Well, I've decided to acquire a lot of duplicate gear, uh-huh. so I don't have when I to travel, ferry it back. I don't have to ferry it back and forth. Because the schlep is hard on them. It's fucked for your traveling. Yep. Yeah. And I still end up moving stuff around. Uh, not like it would be. And is that because so, of Wilco? Is that why you're always out there? Yeah. So I have a whole whole world of stuff in the Wilco loft. And then I have a bunch of guitars at home. Uh, and some amps. Little amps. Not a lot of amps. Um, but, you know, I don't feel so bad when I see how many beautiful things Mr. Tweedy has. So he's got an amazing collection of guitars. Plays it. Yeah. <laughs> Jeff Tweedy. He plays his guitars and he takes them on tour. He doesn't put them under glass cases and pray to them. Works. Yeah. He likes to play. A lot of cats trip out on mine. I know, I know what you mean about them looking at the beat up. Yeah, I mean, but that's why I don't buy, very rarely do I ever buy any guitars that are. I think in I'm good kind shape. of hard on you. You are? <laughs> so am I. Uh, oh, yeah. you definitely are. Yeah, well, so are you, man. <laughs> I've looked at your bass. I know what that Thunderbird came out looking like. It wasn't very blue after a while. <laughs> and then now the EB3 is kind Not of... Not very red. Kind of wood, wood grain. <laughs> it's <kind of> <laughs> <laughs> and then it's, get, the it's also getting thinner. 
Oh, I'm man, wearing I'm losing, down the wood. I'm losing uh, fingerboard on that 59. I might have to get a graft eventually because it's just starting to get scalloped. Well, I have five Jazzmasters now, but only two of them are real fenders. Oh, the wow. others are just fake ones that I have sort of cobbled together. For uh, One of them I have is I got these pickups um, from Seymour Duncan custom made that they, they do on order. They're just you ever met him? I know he loves jazz masters and he makes really great the antiquity pickups are really great but beyond that they also make a PAF that looks like a jazz master pickup that fits right in the, in the routing yeah. so I just got these pickups and I stick them in one of these sort of souped up Japanese jazz masters that my friend Frankie kind of tried to make into a better guitar for me right. and that way we can play some of these old auditoriums wired everything, all the power is routed right into the stage, yeah. so everything's humming like crazy. Right, right. We'll have one guitar that doesn't hum, because all my guitars are single coil, so I spend the whole night not able to move. I have a, I put a piece of gaff tape on the stage. What about a, a, a that pickups wrong? Does that help? Only when it's out of phase setting. Yeah, 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 of course. But I can't play like that all night. Be all like hollow. Sounds really bizarre. Dale Rogers. Dale Rogers. Oh, I love that tone. Oh, but to address your question, for me to be thinking about acquiring anything now would be yeah. kind of obscene, I think. But like a shit hoarder? Yeah. There's <laughs> nothing. You know, I, I, Denying I, do want to get, I do want to get a uh, Jerry Jones guitar lint, which I've been wanting for a long time. A what? The guitar lint, the one that goes another octave higher. Wow. It's like it goes in the mandolin range. He stopped making them years ago. Now he's making them in limited production. You know, I love these. How does he do that? He just has the fretboard go more. keeps going, man. It's like the lyre shaped guitar, complete yeah. access to the upper register. Longhorn. Yep. And so, and I love Jerry Jones stuff. You know, I love his 12 strings. And like uh, Dan Electro. Yeah, but beautifully made. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. Such great guitars. You've got one, a baritone or something? I've got the baritone, I've got two 12 strings, a six string, and the shorty 12 string. Octave 12 string. That's oh, great. Wow. That's also long hard shape, but it's tiny. Yeah. It looks like a little bow and arrow. <laughs> <laughs> Not a bow and arrow. What are those? those uh, crossbow. Crossbow. Yeah. Yeah, it's really cool. And the stuff is great. So, and I told him if he ever reissued it, that I'd get one. Well, what about I, on the pedal seat? At least they don't take up as much room. <laughs> And I have so many fuzz boxes yeah. now. People keep, you know, people give them to me. Yeah. I get them. Somebody says, "Here, try this. Keep it if you even if you don't like it." So now I have this pantry in my place. Yeah. It's just all filled with pedals, and that's just the stuff that I'm not using. Pedal boards. Yeah, kind of. It's kind of scary. But um, <laughs> no, there's always something out there that's fascinating. I'm sure. Right yeah. Now, who's doing new things with pedals now? Man, I love this guy Doug at Midfi Electronics. His stuff is super raw, and most of it's not practical for the real world. But for people like me who want to buy a pedal that makes everything sound broken, for example, <laughs> you just get the Midfi Electronics the Lich computer, and it just makes everything sound like it's exploding. It's so great. And then he makes a, a, this thing called the Random Number Generator. That yeah. kind of just bounces uh, frequencies. January 18th, 2007, 
It's the second hour of the Watt from Pedro show. And here's the other part of my interview with Nels Klein. This was done the next day, January 14th, 2007, on our way home from San Francisco. In fact, Nels is behind the wheel because I wanted him to have a shot at driving a V10 Triton E350 Econoline van. He dug the boat, said she moved smooth. And sorry about the quality on this part because the automatic gain switch on the little recording device on the iPod got switched on and that introduced some funky sound, I don't know, distortions. And of course the wind is blowing hard, but still there's the insights of Mr. Klein still there for you to pick up on. Now Klein is one of my mentors, one of my musical and spiritual inspirations, and I respect him much. So here's Nels and his wisdom. One at a time. One at a time. And what you like about each one, and what you don't like about each one. Start with your oldest, and go to the newest. My oldest. That's your own. Oldest, like when it was made, or how long I've No. As long as you've had. Oh. Watch out. Guitar. Uh, I've had the longest. It's my first electric guitar. Which is a melody. Uh, one pickup. My dad bought it. From a student at his junior high school where he taught in West L.A. in person. Junior high. And uh, it's a, it has a baseball bat for a neck. A little tiny guitar. It still works. Uh, it's a little bit uh, sunned and has a little bit of sun warpage on the pickguard because I used it for a display in the 80s for the Sonic Youth E-Ball album. A window display and I stuck drumsticks in the neck and hung it in the window and shot silly string all over it, all over the whole window so it looked sort of like the swirls on the cover of E-Ball. But I, I got that. That was procured when I was about... 11 years old, I guess, 1966, 67. Then I have uh, my nylon string guitar I've had since I graduated high school. Well, what do you like about that guitar? Um, very little. Just that it's my first guitar, I think. It doesn't, doesn't sound or play very well. That's what you don't like about it. Yeah. But it's my first guitar. I still got it. I gave away the two after that. Sold my Unibox Les Paul copy. It was a horrible guitar. Couldn't believe I could get $100 for it. But you did. Well, I did. A girl who bought it came with her dad. I hope she's still playing. Uh, then I got this nylon string guitar. $200 guitar. Kazuo Yairi. Japanese handmade. Cheap. Bought it in like 1975, probably, 74. Bought new at a music store on Western Boulevard that's long gone. I can't think of the name of it now. His two brothers owned it. Um, I guess actually maybe before, you know, before the uh, nylon string, I had my 335 Gibson, which I still have. It's in Chicago. Hollow body electric. Bought new in 1971. And my folks inherited some money from my dad's Aunt B. And uh, that's a beautiful guitar. 
guitar and there's nothing wrong with it at all. What do you like about it? The neck is beautiful. That's why I kind of picked it for its... I was more of a Gibson guy back then. Picked it for its sound and feel. It's got a nice big body. You get your arm on it. You know? It's kind of the uh, Chuck Berry, BB King style guitar. So that's still in Chicago. It's in really good shape. It's got... I've scratched it a lot, thrashing on it the big chords, but it's still in really good condition. And uh, you know, hollow body guitars tend to feed back a little high volume. But uh, 71, so that's they put a negative. What about that, that nylon string? What do you like about that? Well, what I like about it is it records well. People still hear it and think it's a good guitar. But it's actually a student model guitar. It's very inexpensive, even in the 70s. So it's because in those days you could still make guitars that weren't even premium guitars out of decent wood. It sounds pretty good. It records a lot better than it sounds in real life. The thing that's hard uh, about it is that it's, as it's a student model, uh, it's not really meant to be played up to a high guitar, so it doesn't play quite as in tune as I like the upper register. It's certainly not supposed to be played up there. It's not supposed to be good enough to give you one of those guitars to be wanting to do that. But then, uh, while, while I was in high school, after the 335, I bought a used Rick and 12 spring. A really tiny one, like, like the John Lennon guitar. Oh, yeah. I still don't know how I ever played it. The strings are so close together, the neck's so small. I mean, it's just a mystery to me. But I played it all the time in high school. I still have it, but it's all damaged now. And it got water damaged in the lamination. It came up glued. It's a split right now. <laughs> Oops. So that's kind of a negative. And it was thrashed already anyway. The neck was ruined. The frets were non-existent. So I just started playing it with screwdrivers and stuff. Oh. And I totally destroyed the neck. What, like Thurston? Yeah, yeah. I was trying to do a lot of that stuff. I knew the neck was thrashed anyway. Right, right. You know, those necks are lacquered. Yeah. So nobody will touch them. So they're such a pain in the ass to work on. Apparently, you just touch one thing and everything crumbles. So I've never really found anybody to fix it. Jeez. I got my little uh, 1952 Martin 0017 acoustic steel string. I got that out in the 70s, the late 70s, for 250 bucks. Western music. Mahogany, it's all mahogany. It was kind of a low-budget guitar back in the day. Mahogany front. Everything's front. Yeah, everything's mahogany. And, uh, it's not, not as loud. Not Who's as loud. into the... the Thompson likes mahogany tops. Oh, really? Yeah. And you oh, know, my, my, my little bass is mahogany. There's, I know it ain't loud, right. like a maple or a spruce. Right. But there's a weird roundness about it that's kind of interesting. Well, I've loved this guitar forever. I played a lot of acoustic guitars before I bought it. My dad lent me the money to get it. How much? 250 bucks. Wow. Yep. It was a deal. I think it's worth a lot of money now. <laughs> Whoever had, had it before, I think, just played it at uh, campfires or something. The case was way too big for the guitar. It was a really cheap case. The action was about an inch off the neck. Yeah. Bow and arrow. All open. First position chords, I'm sure. It's small and it actually is really even. Yeah, and it worked on in the action. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I've used it on pretty much everything where you've ever heard me playing acoustic steel string, except things I had to do uh, 
like with L.H. Sharp in New York or in Milan where we borrowed guitar guy. And I just recorded with this guitar on the new singer's record two acoustic songs. And everybody kept saying, wow, the guitar sounds great. Jeff Denmark? Yeah. Jeff Gote was all happy because that's the guitar I always played in quartet music. That and my Taylor 12-string and my little Yairi. So after the Martin, I got the Taylor 12-string. They'd only been in business for about two years at that time. They were still in Lemon Grove outside of San Diego. And it was a sort of guild-style jumbo. And I still have it. It still sounds amazing. And unlike the current Taylors, it ages. You know, so it's just getting better and better. Now they shoot it with this kind of plastic, this kind of bare thing. It doesn't really age. Uh, it protects the wood, but it doesn't also, it also doesn't let it really really dry out. Yeah. And there's something about... I, wanted to sound I know like, that with my older basses, there's something about the wood being around. Yeah. I think that's why old instruments or acoustic instruments tend to be valued. <laughs> right, right, right. They start to sound really good. And boy, the Taylor's a beautiful guitar. I was looking for something that would give me that kind of Ralph Towner 12 string sound. And I played some guilds like he plays. But then when I heard these Taylors, I just had to get it. At that time, it was by far most expensive guitar I ever bought because it was 950 bucks oh. with a case. It was a brand new guitar, handmade. Sure. And I had to borrow the money and pay it off. Um, gee, now it's a bit of a blur what the, what the oldest would be, but I still have... Uh, well, I got a, a Gibson lap steel from a family friend when I was 13. It belonged to her father. It was in storage. BR9 has the screaming P90, tortoiseshell P90. I don't know if it was made in the late 40s. I'm not sure that the actual day, day. Um, and uh, this, the, the lap steel I played ever since I was a teenager. I used to just make noise on it. I detune it and put echoplex on it and fuzz. Just freak out on it. Now I actually, of course, since the Geraldine Fibbers especially started playing it, I lap steel. So, oh, not like you know, in the middle of for, for your pleasure. Exactly. Right. And uh, so I've had that one a long time. But then after that, I didn't really acquire any guitars for a really long time. I played some strats because I was in that band block. It was all about strats. Right. But you don't have any of those. No, I had to sell all the strats. And I didn't really, I never really related to the strat personally, the feel of it. And then that was late 80s when I decided to get a Jaguar and I got it out of the recycler for 300 bucks 66 Jaguar and uh, that was the beginning of the whole you know Jazzmaster Jaguar era for me where I could play with strings behind the bridge I just love the body shape Jaguar of course is a little thinner sounding than the Jazzmaster I didn't get the Jazzmaster until I bought that one from you Ninety-five. Oh yeah. I think one Jay passed on. Yeah, I like it. I like yeah, it. Yeah, I, I, I thought it was a great one. It's a beautiful. I didn't know when I got it from you that it was as good of a jazz master as it is. And then the fibbers, you know, we used to just like throw guitars around. Yeah, sure. I just toss the guitar to Kevin and he'd rip the strings out and you know bleed all over it. Um, Thing, just playing with you got chewed. I, I, I realized for the first two weeks of tour with you that I still had my keys on my belt. Yeah, right. My keys were flapping and I ripped 
taking all the paint off the back of the guitar. It's pretty hilarious. But right away, you knew about changing the bridge to stain. Right, well, that was something that um, Rick King had, had uh, right. guitar maniacs told me about it. That guitar came Tacoma. Yeah, Tacoma. That guitar came from there, he told me. Right, I did. And I bought another one from him that I since had to sell. Was that the turquoise? Uh, yeah, it's gone. Seafoam. In fact, a friend Seafoam. of mine, a friend of mine has it. It was a refit. I think that's the next guitar you get after. That's right. true. And then, uh... You know what? It wasn't as good as that other one, huh? Oh, God. It's not even, there's not even... Because also it has the binding on the neck. It was that's right. 66. That's right. The feel of it, the shape of the neck, everything's totally different. It doesn't have the slap board, the fingerboard. It doesn't have the same tones. But it did have a beautiful tone for some of that contemplating engine room stuff. Yeah. I think... Uh, 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 no one says old man the old man that that one yeah that's done on that guitar it had a beautiful behind the bridge G it the no G behind the bridge just ring like a uh, like a buoy or something that's what I thought <laughs> when I was recording it on the record it sounded kind of nautical yeah yeah it's yeah. a little bell like sound it's a nice clean guitar oh there's Coltrane <laughs> there goes the lead where were we the foam See foam green? Yeah, yeah. It got so sold. And that for a while, yeah, it got sold. My friend Noah Phillips has it. But you knew that the same kind of guitar could be different. Yeah, you know what? I didn't know how good that 59 was until I started playing other jazz masters. I didn't realize that it had this much beefier sound, deeper tone, not as trebly, not as glassy, which are the qualities that are not really, they don't work so well for me. That glassiness. I think it works really well for somebody like Jay. I think his jazz masters are maybe those kind of jazz masters that have really more edge to the sound with all the marshals and distortions really articulated. For me, it's a little too tinny. Did you hear the news? He's got a Fender's making a Jay Vasquez jazz master. Oh, really? Comes yeah, out purple or this year? Yeah, of course. <laughs> but I wonder if they'll get those sounds. I don't know. I don't even know if he likes those kinds. But when I used to play those that were much more glassy sounding, I used to think of more of him than of uh, even of uh, Thurston. Well, he turned down the one you liked, maybe because it wasn't as too beefy, too low end. Yeah. That's exactly what I love about it. So I started realizing, oh my God, this guitar is great. So it became my number one guitar. As soon as I was playing it all the time, nothing else felt right to me. It's had things, I mean, you changed the bridge right away, but you've done other things. Like well, nothing really except that I keep select just switches, breaking, right? I keep breaking the switches and the machine heads had to be swapped out. Yeah, right. Um, but other than that, you know, the knobs and pickups and what's left of the pick guard and the finish are <laughs> original. And I remember when I got it from you that somebody had... It was an original finish. Yeah. These machine heads... It actually cracked no, up the headstock. the original finish, but I... Oh, it is? They cracked the headstock. Yeah, I looked it up. They made that finish. Oh, wow. So when the paint starts coming off, it looks like eggplant. Yeah. It looks purple. Yeah. Which it really is. It's an eggplant color. It's not just black, black. Okay. Which is pretty cool if you think about it. But anyway, so after that, it's kind of a blur as far as acquiring guitars. Because I, I really didn't get any guitars for a really long time. I think the next stuff was uh, Jerry Jones guitars. Yeah, right. Which I got to play with the fibers and, and contemplate the it's, it's like breaking the choke code. Right, I got the Maritime guitar first and then the 12 string. My friend Gene Stinson turned me on to these guitars. I 
realize that, that what's the 12 string the puppet head uh, no that's my Fender 12 that Lynn Johnston gave I can't Jerry, later yeah, mention, oh that's later yeah yeah Jerry oh, Johnson. that's right Lynn Johnston I played that thing but he kind of lent it to me it wasn't really mine I used to just say to him all the time when I saw it that was mad he showed it to me pulled it out from under the bed dust all over it over, all over the case so I used to always ask him what's going on with that 12 string land oh it's still under there you know so anyway I got the Jerry Jones baritone guitar because I had played GE's and GE got a 12 string one of the first Jerry Jones 12 strings which he still thinks is one of his favorite guitars he's ever played in his life so I played it and realized how after the Rickenbacker and the Fender 12 how easy it was to play and how good it sounded with those lipstick case pickups so the Fibbers went on the road for Butch. I acquired one for the tour because I played the Fender 12 of Lens and he lent me on Butch. That didn't it play so good. No, it was like playing telephone cables. I got it worked on later by Paul Flynn and True Tone, and it plays really well now. But it needed some loving care. Eventually, Lynn gave me the 12 string. It just blew my mind. He said, I'll never sell it. You should have it. It's yours. So I came back from the Fibbers tour one time. So that became mine around 98, 97. And I really only record with it. I go out and play in LA with it once in a while because it's really beautiful and it's valuable. It has custom red. It's candy apple red. Yeah, yeah. Paint. I've seen it. It's beautiful. Yeah, man. I think it was under your bed. <laughs> in a yeah. case. Now everything's in the closet. But, uh, so, the 12 string and 59 began, well, I acquired a Hagstrom 2. Oh, right. During Fibber Days. $100 and used it as an open tuning guitar. With the Fibbers, I played open G. I already had it. I didn't know Carla played Hagstroms. So when we met, we both had Hagstroms. We were kind of into that. She plays Hagstrom ones, the plastic ones. You know what else is in the Hagstroms? Well, Pat. That's weird. But he doesn't play Hagstrom one or two. He really likes the, the sort of uh, weird three pickup ones. Yeah. And the, and the three He's got some Swedes. He does? Swedes? I never saw him play. I had a Swede bass. Larry Coriel. Yeah. He played a Swede. <laughs> so that was kind of my main bunch of guitars for a long time because I never had any money to buy anymore. Right, right. right. So that, that sort of kept me going until uh, really the last three years when they started kind of getting another couple of lap steels, trying different tunings, and, uh, and I started getting inexpensive guitars, like I have a Harmony uh, that looks kind of Jazzmaster shaped and has those really nice Garmin pickups in it that I got at uh, that music store in Berkeley that used to be the uh, Univibe. Yeah. I got it for 150 bucks, and I really like that guitar, and I have it at home for open tuning. I just try different tunings sometimes with these less expensive guitars, and I take them out and play solo gigs. Or if I play duo with somebody like GE, it's really fun to have these open tunings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like you said, maybe I barely have a friend the guitar. I'm just kind of yeah. hitting the back of the neck with my palm and looping things. No, but one of the trippy things we first seen you is you doing the Sonic Youth open tunings by not doing open tuning my finger. Oh yeah, a little unison work. Yeah, you stretch your fingers out. It's never going to be as low. You have to tune it down to get those low Cs, yeah, 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 yeah. low Ds. But uh, when I started playing with Wilco was when I started getting a lot more guitars. Of course, not only was I making some dough for the first time and getting out of debt, 
but also I needed some different things to work with it. Jeff Tweedy gave me one of those, one of those that they call it faded or whatever. Um, Les Paul Jr. kind of Joan Jett style with the two two P90s. I play open G uh, slide on that with Wilco. Then I needed like Johnny Thunder. Yeah. Then I needed to get uh, TVs. Do they call those TVs? No, I don't know. But those are good guitars and inexpensive. But Jeff gave it. I heard somewhere. Is it double cutaway? Yeah. Because, like Leslie West said, he liked the single ones because he stayed in tunings. There's something about the neck being all naked like that. Thing. Well, Jeff Tweedy has a black, whatever they call faded, Les Paul single cutaway. It's a it's cheap series, and he loves it. He put a big speed on it, and it's the guitar. They don't have a top. They're flat. Yeah. Yeah. It's just wood. It's a stain. Right, right. He plays that guitar on uh, Alice Crone. So he uh, gave you one of them? Gave me one of those. What, what, what is it, 50s? No, no, they're just like made in the 90s. You know? Oh, they were reassuring. They were like the yeah, okay. I think it cost Wilco $200. New. Yeah, yeah. And it's good. It sounds great. It plays great. Um, and I needed to get another Jazzmaster as a backup with Wilco so I got a Japanese one on eBay. Frankie Montoro took all the paint off, ground it off. We just stained it and put that anodized aluminum big card on it. Got the Seymour Duncan antiquity pickups, which are really good. And the Japanese jazz masters have the wrong pods. So you put the one mag pods in, all of a sudden more sound, not as thin. And with those pickups, ended up with a really good guitar, except for the hardware, which I've still never quite got the good hardware for that guitar. These hardware is the only hardware that works. Yeah. I think the Japanese hardware from those 80s yeah. ones are totally horrible. And the all part stuff, I'm sorry, yeah. the crap. It just gets starts getting wonky and doesn't Even the stained bridges? Bridges are okay, but yeah. I wear them out. They're not like quality metal. No, but you know, and I stench everything out. Not yeah, as yeah. bad as Deep Boone, but. <laughs> Some major excavation Gross. going through and moving those bridge pieces after yeah, a couple yeah. of tours. The barrels, solid, solid rust goo under there. <laughs> so I got this little what we call the Frankie Stein for use with Woka, and then things started to step up pretty. Well, we should talk about the bridges. There's a problem with the original, the threads. The threads, well, if you play hard, they yeah. fall. They're going to leave. The strings move around. Yeah. Some people seem to be able to make them work for you. I can't do it. I well, Jay did. He went for like a Gibson Tunematic. You do the Tunematic too. It's just then they're like little out. blades. I think the big barrels keep the string breakage down. Yeah, they do. They, they spread it out a little more. They don't hold the string as no. securely. And, and also, you know, it's kind of good the way the Tunematic has such a, a smaller amount of metal actually touching the string. Yeah, leading to believe that the strings resonate more. Oh, you know, with the Tunematic. Yeah. But you have to swap out the whole seating. I know, I know. I've Once seen him do it. Right it just on, goes right on. There, then. Um, but anyway, now, God, I bet like you this J1 has... Has that bridge. Yeah. Too bad. I played this... Those, you would think the spacing would be a little different, too, right? Because a little Gibson versus a Fender. Seems like it'd be more closer together. Yeah. I don't know if it is. Somebody told me you could just, just change the seating. It should work. Uh, I have to shim the two E-strings 
on the Mustang bridges because the radius on a Mustang is completely different yeah. from a Jazzmaster, which is totally different from a Jaguar. The Jaguar is closer, yeah. so I have to raise up the two E strings so they're not in this curve sure, that sure. the guitar doesn't have. So. so then with Wilco, I was using those. Do you like a flatter deck? Less, bigger radius? Yeah, I like more, I like the extra string length. I, like, I don't mind if the neck's kind of large because my hands and my fingers are long. But I like string tension, so I like longer scale. It's fun no, but I'm, I'm talking about the curve, the yeah, radius. I, I don't even know if I care. Or flat. Because the modern thing is to get bigger radius, more and more flat neck. Right. I don't know if I ever really had a preference. I always just... My, the first guy that ever worked on my guitars yeah. was a man named Bobby Carlos. And he just laughed out of sheer amazement and disgust. And he found out that I would play gigs and record with guitars that were completely messed up. And all the strings were at different heights and widths. <laughs> Intonation was completely off. I used to just try to intonate it myself, and the strings would just get all stray. But uh, I started getting smarter after that. Um, one of the first things I did with Wilco was buy another Jerry Jones 12-string. Because I knew that I was going to want to play a fair amount of 12-string with them. Yeah. To offset Jeff's style and his sound. And it's worked out really well with the 12-string. So I got a Neptune his later model 12 string which is a total thing of beauty and it plays like butter <laughs> butter it sounds great it looks great it's a beautiful thing so now you got four 12 strings oh uh, yeah it's including the Rickenbacker that's unplayable <laughs> and then well five if you count the acoustic and not the tail oh that's right I'm a 12 string fiend I love those 12 strings yeah. and then I got a else did I get for Wilco? Oh, I bought a National Steel. Two National Steel. That Taylor, do you tune it me? Yeah, or it's just... No, I don't do the, the lower thing. It's a good question. A lot so of to help do, the neck stay? It seems to be fine. It's been in E its whole life. Although, I, well, I'd love to take it in and have somebody look at it and see how it's doing. Okay. I played it also on some overdubs on the new... It sounds like you use it to take capo a lot. No, I'm not a capo. Yeah. I used to have a couple of songs that I played... Eric Von Essen in our duet yeah. phase and also one song with Block where I capoed up really high and that would sort of emulate the sound of uh, maybe a charango or a quattro or something yeah, yeah, yeah. higher to pitch the guitar and play finger style and that was something I don't, I don't do I did it then but I don't do much anymore so, so after the Neptune uh, well I guess the two national last the Neptune guy lipsticks Yep, all the Jerry Jones stuff does. It sounds so good. And uh, so I got this little national lap steel on eBay. It was great because I was in Chicago, and it turned out to be in Indiana. So about an hour and a half away. So Glenn Kochi drove me over there, and I just picked it up. It's, uh, the National New Yorker looks kind of like an Art Deco skyscraper. Bakelite, it's black and white light. Bakelite, it looks incredibly cool. I got it pretty cheap. Just be old. Yeah, it's, it's old. It doesn't even use quarter-inch jack on the cable. It's with the screw on. Yeah, yeah. Which are total forties. Yeah, it is. And it's short, short scale, but it, it sounds really. The thing that's nice about the Nationals compared to the Gibson that I have is that they have very quiet pickups, kind of humbucking style, and so no hum. And I can use a compressor. 
clean sound and do sort of my more fake metal steel stuff with those guitars because I can compress it and get all that sustain and no hum. So it's real nice. And I bought another National that was freestanding. It's got three legs. Yeah, sure. In uh, Toronto, welcome to it. And it looks also super amazing. It looks kind of like a rocket ship. Um, and I tried it freestanding for a while, but then I felt like I was in a cockpit. Like I was separate from everybody. Yeah. I was turning into Steve Howe. So I, I, I played on my lap, and it was easier anyway. On my lap. It's one of the only hard things about playing with Wilco is when I'm switching back and forth between lap steel and uh, regular guitars. I have to do it really fast. I have my little stool, and I have to throw the guitars in the guitar stand, whip the stool up, plug everything in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As fast as I possibly can. Hope everything's in tune. Well, if you move to the pedal thing like you want to do, you're gonna have to stool it up. Oh God, yeah, right. Yeah, I'm afraid to go pedal steel, but somebody like Greg Leach plays both lap steel and pedal steel with equal ease. Lap steel, obviously, there's more with you doing with the bar. You're moving the bar around. That suits me because it's more like regular guitar playing. Right, right. I also don't do the finger picks. I can't get used to it, so I hold the pick and do my stupid, my stupid uh, fake no. finger style. Kodo. Yeah. <laughs> it's the best. You're supposed to do all that, do all the damping. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If I do the pedal steel, I'm going to have to confirm Yeah, that's it. right. I'm going to have to do it all because there's hardly anything in terms of moving the bar unless you get some of that really super souped up Nashville skip-a-dip all over the... You know what I mean? That really virtual sure, sure. stuff. So, everything else is done with the levers, the knee levers, the foot yeah, pedals, right. and damping. So, it's like, it's, it's like it's quite a dance. It's very, uh, yeah, it's, you have to have a lot of four-way coordination. But, maybe I'll confront it. But then again, now they'll have the cockpit, and I'll be all messed up. That's trying right. to figure out where to put it. Because I've already got seven guitars on stage and I just maintain my own little area yeah yeah so Jeff has his stuff carried by the guitar tag because he's standing in the middle he's standing in the middle because he switches guitars like almost every song oh wow yeah he's fetishistic about his guitars he likes to play a specific guitar for specific songs so he carries like 19 guitars on the road really incredible. And that Peters, they're probably all these oldies. Oh man, they got this last year, Wilco got the guitar vault, which I never even heard of, but I realized I had seen before on these really big gigs like the Stones have them. Just guitars are all inside stands with all this deluxe padding around it, lashed in, huge doors. You just open those things up, turn the light on inside, and there are the guitars. So we have two of these vaults. Which does each one hold? And it looks like about 10 or 12 guitars. They're completely full. And I've got mine in there too, except that when I'm on stage, they're all on stage. Jeff's are all backstage. It's a lot of guitars. And you get some more recent ones in the slides that are just... Oh, God. This year, last year, 2006, was a banner year for guitar acquisition. Yeah. Well... Before the, this year's big explosion of guitars, I, I picked up some kind of oddball guitars, like an old 60s, mid-60s Echo, Italian plastic guitar, which I bought from Frankie Montoro, because he bought it and realized maybe it was something I would like, and he didn't need it. And it's got the, the, 
no tone setting that I was looking for that you find on some of those Morricone spaghetti western sure, stores. Sure. It's got that amazing attack. No sustain. <laughs> amazing. And it looks, of course, completely cool. I played Jeff Tweedy's. He has one with four pickups. It's this totally bizarre shape. It's hanging on the wall and he never plays. So I started using it uh, on this one thing we did in a, in a log cabin in Indiana. We were kind of out there in the woods. And I thought, oh, we're going to be doing some experimenting. They're filming it. The guitar looks great. And I said, I'll just play Jeff's echo guitar off the wall. Because he doesn't want so then I started thinking, ooh, hey, maybe I should get an echo. I like these no-tone settings. I thought it would be good also for kind of fake, really old-school country picking sounds, so it's all percussive with no sustain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gated. Analog gated. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I got that, and I also got one of Jeff Tweedy's guitars he was selling. Old Birds of London split sound because it has some of the most bizarre tones. Burns of London. Burns, yeah, you know, like Burns. Brian May guitars and Burns. Yeah. It's got split pickups, split sound pickups where you can have a totally different tone on those E, A, and D string and then a high end tone on the high strings. But the low tone, the mellow tone is way louder than the treble tone. So you can't really ever combine them. Yeah, yeah. But it has this setting on it called Wild Dog. It's one of the pickup settings that's completely nasal, high-endy, twangy sound, which I also thought would be really cool for sort of country-style guitar with lighter gauge strings. And I bought a Jerry Jones Neptune on eBay. Another one. A six-string. Oh, six-string. To see if I could get a Telecaster kind of thing going on. Three lipstick case pickups, lighter gauge strings, more. I'm trying to do more of my Clarence White kind of stuff on that. you don't have a tell. No, it's so funny because Jeff keeps saying... No, traditional. That kind of sound. Be on a teller. Yes, I know. <laughs> Not doing it. Hat Sansone and Wilco's a telly guy. Jeff plays a telly. <laughs> Not going to telly. <laughs> At least not yet. Putting it off. I like them. They're cool. You've played them before. Yeah, yeah. I've never owned one. And I always kind of cherish that certain jazz guys played them, like Ed Bicker, the Toronto chord wizard guitarist. Kelly, uh, Sam Brown, the late Sam Brown. Chase Kelly. Kelly. It's like a blue metal flake. Who? Jay Mask. Oh, Jay. Yeah. But I think the blue flake is from drum skin that he taped oh, on really? there. Like the black electrician's tape. It looks great. Like my pop's first car. He said, yeah, from 50, because he painted it with a barn brush red. He said, from 50 yards, that thing looked great. Right, and you walk up closer. <laughs> yeah, the brush strokes <laughs> the size of your fingers. <laughs> it takes also a little of the shine off the car, right? <laughs> Wait a sec, it's texture. Six. Oh, now you're taxing my tiny brain. Uh, 
bus because I didn't have an acoustic guitar in Chicago that I could just knock around and write on and yeah. practice on. Um, Jeff Tweedy suggested I check out these Jatan Baca Ferry style guitars because we were talking about Django Reinhardt. He said, well, you know, those Jatan ones are really inexpensive and they seem really good. You should try one out. So uh, he and I went over to this store in Chicago and check these out, and man, the, the one with the extra string length and the small hole, instead of the big oval, yeah. the small, small hole, was just such an incredible guitar, and I showed it to, to Frankie Montoro, the luthier and former guitar tech for Wilco, he couldn't believe the quality, he bought one, so it's this Jenga Reinhardt type guitar, and it's great, and it's, you know, 700 bucks, it's cool. They're built under tension. Amazing workmanship. They're probably made by, you know, slave girls from some Chinese village or political prisoners in China. They don't say made in China anywhere on it, but I'm pretty sure that's where they're made. If you look it up, it says it's made in the Far East. <laughs> so you think maybe it could be Indonesia too, but it doesn't say. So somewhere. Somewhere where labor is very cheap because, wow, for the money great guitar. And then things got out of control. Then I started buying Jazzmasters. Yeah. For, still for Wilco, you know. How many? I bought this white one that I've been playing. Yeah, right. And that's not even a real Fender. It's like a mystery body with a 60s hardware and Fender and Seymour Duncan antiquity pickups on it. And I bought a True Tone and uh, the, neck. the neck was supposed to be a Fender Custom Shop neck. I think that could have been bogus. I had to have it reshaped into this really weird eel shape. And uh, Frankie just got out his micrometer and measured my 59 I bought from you to the made exactly the same shape. Oh. Took all. I wanted to have the varnish take off, taken off the back because I don't like the varnish. Just a little Danish oil and it's good to go. So that was that's a really good guitar. It's surprisingly good. Really solid. Some of the ones I've gotten since that just aren't as solid. I play them, and even with the Mustang Bridge, the strings move all over the place. And yeah. They don't have that tight feeling, even with the fairly heavy bass strings. I'm what were they like? Sixties? Um, no, they were still. One of them was a uh, Bill Nash. I still have it. It's a Bill Nash. Uh, it's not even a Fender. Just he made his own version, version. of an early sixties jazz master you know made it relic it so it looks like it's already been beat up or whatever <laughs> uh, Jeff, the reason I, I picked it up is because Jeff Tweedy has one of these it's Telecaster it's not a Fender it's a Bill Nash yeah I love that guitar it sounds incredible it's got a Rosewood fingerboard it's the guitar he plays on the song Kingpin man oh man is it a good telly but frankly Bill didn't quite get it right you know I got it online from uh Metal Geeks or one of those places and uh, MetalGeeks.com or GuitarMusicToys.com that's what it is and uh, it sounds really good it actually got a really full sound it's got the same Duncan antiquity pickups in it it's red but it's something's lacking and, it, and the low E string just will not stay put so I'm still working on that and the Frankie Stein now with the 60s hardware, the hardware's completely collapsing internally, so now if I use the tremolo bar for even 15 seconds, it just, like, collapses. <laughs> so we're trying to find some 
60s hardware online for both guitars. Yeah. And man, oh man, that stuff's gotten really expensive. Yeah, yeah. You can find it's like 250 bucks or 300 bucks. Yeah, I, I really blew it. I should have been acquiring this stuff years ago. Yeah, right. But I've never been smart with it. You know, my like motto, jazz masters at all, I remember. A lot of my motto is always buy high, sell low. <laughs> But uh, so I've got. But, but then something really unexpected happened, which was I was with Frankie and his buddy of his from California named Zane. We were having some breakfast over at this place right near Chicago Music Exchange called Wishbone, and we told Zane, "He's like, man, you have to see this music store. It's like the most expensive, old, really well-stocked vintage store you'll ever see." Since it moved into this, what looks like to be a auto showroom space, they have chandeliers and more guitars, vintage guitars of quality that you've ever seen in one place, but also really expensive. I walked in there and there was this jazz master hanging there with walnut stain on it. The thick guard looked like it was already starting to shrink. It looked completely unglamorous, but it looked like it had slapboard fingerboard and it turned out to be well they told me it was a 1960 the neck angle on it was completely wrong needed a refret at this point 50s late 50s jazz masters have been going for upwards of seven thousand dollars and that market's come down now since this but anyway i ended up getting the guitar knowing i was going to have to do 500 dollars worth of work on it where frankie was for 2600 bucks and that's the most expensive guitar ever that I bought. But I, it's, it turns out to be refinished it by just putting black stain on it, put the black anodized aluminum pickguard on it, refretted it, changed the neck angle. This guitar is phenomenal. So what incredible. are the covers? Black? No, they're just cream color. Okay. The same old, uh, same old look. It looks really cool now. And it hasn't seen any, uh, I think I played it live except in Chicago. So, you know, the idea for me of taking out 259s on the road seems really, really crazy. So maybe 59 was a good year if you got two it's of them. The slapboard, a lot of people say that the slapboard fingerboard, the way it's yeah. layered, the way it's on there, it has a lot to do with the deeper tone. Okay. And uh, I'm inclined to agree early ones, maybe the pickups are a little more fabulous, and that slapboard, the wood, maybe it's alder, I can't remember what they're making it out. Really great. So, now I have two, oh, it turned out to be a 59, Frankie looked up the yeah, serial yeah. number, and it was a 59, it wasn't a 60, like they told me. So, that was kind of the craziest thing. I literally was leaving to come home that day. I just plunked out the plastic and closed my eyes. And then I left it in Frankie's car. And I said, Do you get a chance? Will. Have at it. And I'll be back in about a month. And I came back and used it on the new Wilco right now. Yeah. And since then, <laughs> even more? God. Yeah. Well, so, I bought a K Thin Twin, which yeah. is a Jimmy guitar. In uh, Arlington, Virginia, it needs a neck set, but it's, uh, it's you know, I'm really into these guitars now for recording. For certain tones that have really low output kind of pickups, low fi, like silver tones. I bought a 
Silver Tone Jazz Box. It's not really a jazz box. It's kind of more like some people see it. They think it's more rockabilly guitar. Eddie Cochran could have played it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's something about those low output pickups. They play it a little amp, so it's not driving the amp too hard, like a 10 watt amp. This is great for playing finger style or blues or slide. It has this kind of glassy, good articulated sound. So I got those two guitars. It's kind of about it. Oh, what about this uh, jazz? Well, that's working up to that. Okay. Until the Howard Roberts. Yeah. Howard Roberts of last week. Oh, and I got a Hagstrom Galaxy. Last yeah, month. Completely psychedelic. It's got knobs all over it. Bizarre tones. Two of these pickups were rewound by uh, Lindy Freeland, apparently, the Meister of, of pickup rewinding. It's hard to scream. What year do you think it was from? I'm thinking late 60s, because the mid-60s they had these much cooler uh, inlays on the fingerboard. Uh, fret markers. This, is this just has dots. I don't know why they decided to make it a little more conservative, because it already looks crazy. Yeah. It's got really good working tremolo, and these weird roller tone knobs. There's no regular volume or tone knobs. Yeah, yeah. It's all super dedicated for three pickups. <laughs> Each pickup has its own set of stuff, and it has a very tone switch, and it has other tone, treble, bass, and discant. Which I, somebody looked up discant and told me it's some kind of treble designation, but it's really mid-range. Right. It's a mid-range switch. So I got that, and then the 77 Howard Roberts, which was absolutely crazy, because my cash flow right now is negative. I'm not working that much. But what the heck? I'll pay it off later in the year. Well, what's the story? Guitar designed for, originally for Epiphone by Howard Roberts. It has a the jazz guitar, a single cutaway, you know, fully fat hollow body. Yeah. But instead of having F holes, it has a mobile sound hole, more like the old uh, Gibson acoustics from the 20s and 30s with the arch tops. Sure. The L1s, and uh, it has a one unbucking coming off the neck, but it's actually coming off the fingerboard, so yeah, it's not right. attached to the guitar. And uh, his, the Epiphone had a spruce top in the late 60s, then it disappeared for a while. He redesigned it, came out through Gibson with Maple, which doesn't feed back as much on tape. And also, it has, I think, kind of a post pickup area a little bit. Something to keep it from just taking off in terms of feedback. I'm never going to play it loud anyway. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, those guitars, especially this one, set up with flat wounds, like real jazz guys play. Yeah. What do you it's think like it having a little piano. It's 77. 77. Yeah. And uh, now I'm going to have to play some jazz, man. And how much did you play? That's uh, private information. No, it wasn't so bad. Enough. Enough. Shocked. Enough to shock the hell out of me. You were telling me you, you, you had somebody look at it, and you were hoping they'd talk you out of it. Oh, yeah, my friend uh, Paul, who's the pedal meister, built my pedal board. I used Milko. Uh, works sometimes at True Time. That's how I met him. 
which is where this guitar was. Again, I have to stop going in there, obviously. <laughs> um, and he said uh, they played it, and I had to buy it. So he didn't help me at all. <laughs> it's like, dude, you have to get this guitar.
Yeah, so that's my only base. Okay. If I had a base, I don't know, I'd probably want to get something that now is completely unaffordable. You'd have to win the lottery to get it, like a 60s jazz base. Oh, yeah, like Flea's got early 60s. I love the jazz base net. The stack up. Um, right. Here's a Fender. I'm thinking of, what about a mandolin? The electric mandolin. I, I always wanted those when I heard John Abercrombie. Not play. double string, right? Yeah, yeah. There's, there's four string. John Abercrombie played it a lot in the 70s. And they're really scarce. They're actually pretty easy to find now that we have things like eBay. But uh, I don't think I'll be... Well, I actually have a, a, a Jerry Jones Neptune Shorty 12-string that I forgot to mention. Oh. That I got a couple of years ago that's an octave higher 12-string. Yeah, yeah. So that's kind of mandolin-like, but not. Not in fifths. No. And it's uh, got octave things instead of just double chorus or, or no double chorus. It's oh, they're octave like a 12. Yeah, mostly, yeah. But, uh, but only Except the, for the B and the E. And the G. On the oh, short, wow. The shorty. I don't think they could get the short. This pig would have to be so skinny <laughs> to get that high octave. It'd be like a higher than an auto harp or something. But anyway, that's, of course, it's Jerry. It's beautiful. But no mandolins. I like the guitar lens. Someday maybe I'll get a Jerry Jones guitar lens. Play in the mandolin register, but also a guitar register. It gets a little hard to play up there. The frets are still really the same width, you know. But man, those lipstick case pickups. Yeah, it's a beautiful thing. I think that's it. You know, you got a lot of pedals. <laughs> but we did a banyan gig last night. Yeah. Why don't you just talk about the ones you use? Because those are the ones you usually use with Banyan, right? Yeah, there's only one pedal that I didn't bring up on this gig that I always use, which is my Marshall Governor distortion box from the 60s. Yeah. And it might be the early 70s. But that thing is... The input jacks are so iffy that they come out really easily. They're yeah, yeah. surrounded by decomposing plastic. So I kind of took a chance and brought my Cusack Screamer Fuzz instead, which I'm in love with. But it's not, you know, it's not the same. So I brought the Screamer Fuzz last night. Alright. And my Claude Centaur, of course, which goes everywhere with me, just about, for overdrive. And my Fuzz Factory, my CVX Fuzz Factory, which is a crucial banyan ingredient. I always use it anyway, because it has such wild properties. I'm really used to the Fuzz Factory compressor, delay. I bring phase shifter for Banyan, my old boss phase shifter, and uh, Wawa. Whammy pedal, volume pedal, 16 second digital delay, reverb, and I brought the Pitch Pirate, the Mid 5 Pitch Pirate last night to get this sound I really like it. Sounds like a cassette with a ding in the tape. <laughs> like that. <laughs> and if you put the heavy modulation fast, it sounds kind of like an analog synthesizer sound. So I tried that at one point. Failed miserably. I think I did it on Agate Brain. Yeah, yeah. When all, all, all other roads had been exhausted. <laughs> So that was it. No volume. 
No, I said volume. Oh, oh okay. So volume's always there. Yeah, it's yeah. It's kind of my ultimate crutch besides the system second and the whammy pedal. If I have those things and anything that overdrives or distorts, I can usually get through any kind of musical situation. What kind of tuner? All those boss power things that power my because pedals. It doubles up as yeah, a tuner and a genius. Whoever came up with that thing, kudos, huzzahs. <laughs> it's a genius device. Oh, the battery game, what a nightmare. Yeah, yeah, it's nice. Well, of course, that's the other thing about the Klon Centaur and the Marshalls, they don't take that. that oh, yeah. Plug. So I Can't you use a converter plug? I, I could tr try to do it, but I found that the Klon sounds a little better with the battery anyway. Oh. Governor, I could. What's that other fuzz that you used to use with us? Uh, I used a big Centaur. Oh, yeah, that's the overdrive. I used it always. I had it last night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sometimes I use a smaller pedal when I'm going to Europe or something to fit in my case. Yeah, yeah. What I just acquired called Love Pedal. The Love Pedal Infinity. It's a little mushier than the Klon, but very comparable. Sometimes I use my Tremulator. Demeter Tremolo. Yeah, yeah. Without a board, I just have to sit there like. And we'll go use a board. Right. It's a beautiful thing. I don't even set up my own stuff at we'll go anyway. So it's just so bizarre. Walk on stage. Yeah, right. Sound check. Everything's good to go. It's, it's really amazing. We were talking this morning about amps. Like last night you used. Oliver. Oliver threw a PV. PV cabinet. Right. It's an EVM inside there. The cabinet was just open something. Open back. I, I wanted to get an open back 112. Yeah. So I picked that up years ago at Unified. Right. In Berkeley for 100 bucks. Blew the speaker immediately. It was a PV. Then I put a Marshall Celestian reissue in there. Blew that. Had to do the EV. Because, you know, I do these things with a lot of low end on the wagon pedal. Yeah. Crank the distortion so it sounds like the end of the world. That usually kind of fries on the guitar speaker pretty rapidly. That and the uh, mid-fi glitch computer, which basically makes the sound of explosions. It has, like all these pedals, massive gain. But with Wilco, I used Jeff Tweedy's uh, old Marshall JTM 45 reissue. Offset head 412s. Yeah. Well, you could get used to playing 412s real easily. Well, you were talking about that. That would be great for Manion to have a. I mean, I'd have to wear headphones over my earplugs, but um, a hundred watt head with a with a one 412 cabinet, like a Marshall style high watt cabinet. Sure. That would be beautiful because I can compete with you guys volume wise. I know I'm not playing loud enough for what's going on, but I don't... I, I love it when you're loud. I can't really justify buying an amp that heavy, but only for Banyan gigs. play every gig I do with Banyan. I always go up to the sound man and plead with him to make sure you're loud to PA. My motto about amps for recording, little amps record big. Just little tiny... I use little tiny old magnetone panoramic. Silvertone, little Fender Pro Juniors. They sound so good. You ever try a little Supro? Oh, that's the Jeff Tweedy thing. 
Jeff Jimmy Page. Beautiful. They sound great for overdrive. So, you know, for me, finding that clean thing, I can record with my Oliver with the singers, but for Wilco and for certain sounds, overdubbing, just these little tiny amps sound like huge. That's it. <laughs> January 18th, 2007. It's the third hour of the Watt from Pedro show. And here's part three of Jack Flanders and the Ghost Islands. There are places that are, are blessed. And then when outsiders hear about it and come pouring in, it goes away. It's gone. Sometimes it's as simple as, see, you see nice little woods. And you think, man, this is pretty and peaceful and magical. I think I can find happiness here. So you bulldoze out a bunch of trees and you build a house. But you're not getting through enough light. So you bulldoze out some more trees. And now the woods are gone. The magic's gone. And there you are, still looking for peace and happiness. <laughs> Crazy world. Oh, yeah, man. I was at the Pelican's Pouch talking to Joseph. There's a patio out in the back. I noticed a little shrine made out of lots of different seashells. Hmm. Uh, you know, Joseph, I, I saw your offerings out there. Are you feeding a loa? Not a loa. Uh, it looks like an offering. Yes, it is for the ones who you do not see. Hmm. Are they gods? No more gods than you are me. Are you a god man? <laughs> I wish I were. I help your wish come true. Here is my offering. A free beer. <laughs> I always figured some of those guys were freeloaders. Thanks. No problem. Uh, do you have a name for them? They are like us, and they are not like us. Hmm. But do you have a name for them? Lakan Una. Those that bless us. Those that bless us? Hmm. It's interesting. That little shrine set out on the patio. It was old, but it wasn't weathered. I think Joseph puts it out there when the islands come to visit. Did you ask him? I don't feel he wanted to say anything more. Well, what were the offerings? Some fried chicken, and rice, and lettuce, and flowers. <laughs> no teeth marks on the chicken? I was tempted to leave some. <laughs> <laughs> But if the gods never eat it, isn't that a waste of good food? Not really. Do they give it to the poor? It's the poor people who make offerings, is it not? Well, in Bali, they make these incredibly elaborate offerings. Fruit stacked in pyramids on platters balanced on the heads of Balinese women. It's quite a sight to see. And what happens to the fruit? They put it on the shrine and it rots? That's not what happens. They leave it there while they do their chants and prayers, and, and then they take it back home. They steal it back? No. no. When it's sitting there, the gods feed on the essence of the offering. So everyone gets to eat. Ah, now that is sensible recycling. Oh, yeah. Celestial recycling has been around for a long time. Bunny reappeared from wherever she had been 
and she and Dominique went off to spend a night on the town. It was still early evening when Dominique joined us in the cafe. She came in all excited. We saw one. One what? One of them. Are you certain? I was with Bunny. She saw it first. When? Saw what? Early this evening, when it was getting dark. We were walking down Rue Martinez. It's a very narrow street with two, three-story buildings. I saw a shop that sold antiques. I was looking through the window when I felt something pass very close. It felt like static electricity. My hair went fizzy. Do you see it? No. Did you feel it? Yes. What is it? Over there. Do you see? No. See? It's moving. I don't see. There. Where I'm pointing? Do you see? No. Now it's moving. Oh, yes. There's a kind of a rippling, like something... Fuzzy. Do you see? Well, maybe. It's like a fuzzy cocoon. It's hovering. Oh, yes. You can see it? I think so. See how it just floats? Is it like fuzzy and over? Yes, that's it. We followed it up the street. Sometimes it blended in with the buildings and I'd lose it, but Bunny saw it clearly. When it would pass through light coming from a window, then I couldn't see it at all. You said it looked like a cocoon? It was like a fuzzy egg, only more elongated, but not solid. Was it aware that you were following? No, not at first. What was it doing? See the way it's moving its arms? I can't see any arms. It's waving its arms back and forth. How many arms does it have? Just two. Why is it waving? I don't know. Someone's coming. They walked right through it. They never saw it. You said the way it was moving its arms. I couldn't see the arms. But Bunny felt it was bestowing blessings. That's what she said, yes. You saw only one? I think one was enough. Uh, what are we talking about? The fuzzy one. What fuzzy one? It was Bunny. She called it that. I can't see it now. Can you? Just barely. But where is it going? The street ends down at the bay. It's moving out across the water. Now I don't see it. Bunny had seen them before. More than one? That's what she said. Was it scary? Yes, of course. It was like a spirit. I assume they're from the Ghost Islands. Right, Claudine? Yes, they are. So the islands are inhabited, but, but by what? Spooks? This was not a spook. Have you met many spooks? No, but Bunny said they are something other than spirits. Look, what's the deal, Claudine? I'm going back to the boat. I need to be alone. Salut. Salut, Claudine. God, I would give anything if I could get just one straight answer. Maybe Claudine is protecting you. From what? The truth? We are not always ready for the truth. Well, I sure as hell am.
I figured there were things looking around here. How come Bunny saw them, but you didn't? <laughs> if something knows you can see it, and it doesn't want to be seen, it can do a pretty good job of staying unseen. I see. Unless it slips up, and then I can catch him. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but not physically catch oh, no, 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 no. You don't want to grab for something unless you know what you're grabbing. Let's talk to Bunny. Claudine asked me not to talk about them. She asked you or told you? She asked me. She told you not to talk to Mojo and me? That was implied. Oh, man. You've been shut out. Did she also tell you not to talk to Dominique? No. I knew it. It's a female conspiracy. Bunny, listen to me. It's important that you tell your captain everything you know about whatever they are. The fuzzy ones. Yeah, the fuzzy ones, right. No. What? <laughs> Try a command, Captain Jack. Bunny, I command you. Tell your captain everything you know. No. If you don't tell him, he'll toss you in the brig. We don't have a brig. Well, I'll build one and tow it behind the boat. No. <laughs> Bunny, aren't you curious about what's going on here? Of course. Then why don't we share some information? Because Claudine asked me not to talk about it. But wouldn't you like to know what I know? You don't know anything. <laughs> Mojo, you're not helping. Is that all? Am I excused, Capitan? Yeah, okay. You're dismissed. Now beat it. Ciao, mon Capitan. I think your crew is getting a little mutinous. <laughs> well, I'm not giving up. Uh, Claudine's always two moves ahead of you. Yeah, but why is she always so secretive? Uh, maybe she just doesn't want us making things worse. <laughs> Mojo, when do we ever make things worse? <laughs> oh, man, you want me to tell you all the time? Well, it may have appeared that way, but, but ultimately everything turns out for the best, right? I don't know about ultimately, but look at the mess we make before that happens. Mojo, that's my point. It's a means to an end. Yeah, but sometimes those ends can be real mean.
になっている周りに猫がいる何匹もなんか祝いって感じでみんな踊ったりしているそれから私の体全身超軽くなってもう人間の体じゃないあの下の雲みたいにめちゃふわふわ猫たちは素晴らしいなーって言い続けるそれで認めなくちゃいけないね本当に気持ちいいって Was Yuma no Sekai from Many Birthdays. Before that, we heard Hesitation by McGrad. Me and my missing man are going to play next Saturday, January 27th, in San Diego for a benefit for the Do Good、uh, charity, D O O G O O D dot org, for the website. And McRad is playing along with us. Great musician skater Chuck Treese. That's his band from Philadelphia. And before them, we had Baptized in Shit by the Meat Shits. And we started the third hour off with part three of Jack Flanders in the Ghost Islands. Now, here's some live yummy yummy I found. <laughs>
started that set off with Funky Junkie, something live from Yummy Yummy, found on the internet. Uh, Revelations by Yoko Ono and Cat Power. Sean Marshall on the piano there behind Yoko. And then 96 Tears by Question Mark and the Mysterians. Uh, much empathy to Question Mark. He uh, had his pad burned down in a fire and lost pretty near everything. Um, very tragic. If you can uh, help out, uh, or if you have any memories, he's asking for any memorabilia or memories. Uh, he's up there on the MySpace thing. He's got a page, question mark in the Mysterians. Or I guess... MySpace.com slash question mark in the Mysterians. Or do a search. Uh, but man, what a great tune. 40 years ago, something. And it's still kicking. Love that organ. Pete Mazich, that's for you, Pete. 
and for you too, Q. Uh, here's a band I saw in the 70s.
Каждому, каждому лучше верится, Катится, катится голубой погон.
That was Jenny Skeng with Great Britain. Before that, we had Yummy by Nobuko. Position Normal before that with a tune of theirs called Chebarashka. 
and we started with Faith Healer by the Sensational Alex Harvey Band. A band that never really uh, was big and mainstream. Maybe they were uh, Scotland, I think, uh, somewhere overseas. And I was just a teenager, and I liked them because they were different. In fact, uh, their lead guitar cat had makeup on before I saw Kiss. Uh, do likewise. I don't know if they got the idea from him. I think his name was Zal or something. But, uh, yeah, I saw Kiss a few times before they even had an album out. But uh, And I dug it. But I dug uh, Alex Harvey, too. He passed away a few years ago. He was kind of an older cat then, especially with all the young... Uh, people in arena rock bands. Uh, here's some meters.
We started off the last set for this edition of the Watt from Pedro show with Here Comes the Meter Man by the Meters. You know, I was a meter man. Back in the late 70s, I read uh, Meters for the Edison Company in Long Beach. And, uh, yeah, I wrote a poem about it. I never gave a damn about the meter man till I was the man who had the meters, man. <laughs> had a lot of time to think about it. After that, we heard 78 by the South French Broads. And finally, theme from Cinema Paradiso by Petra Hayden. That's her on all the voices a cappella. It's uh, on the record she's working on right now. Petra goes to the movies. Uh, a bunch of movie things. I also heard her uh, theme from the movie Psycho. Maybe we'll be playing that next time. She also did a trippy version of the Journey song called, uh, well, it's their uh, Don't Stop Believing. It's going to be on this compilation of uh, one of these guilty pleasure kind of things. And I've been asked to be on it, too. The song picked for me was Burning For You, <laughs> Blue Oyster Cult. So I'll be doing that in the next couple of weeks. Mr. Nels Klein on guitar and some other folks. And, uh, I mean, I was way into Blue Oyster Cult, but not by that period. <laughs> Even though uh, Mr. Richard Meltzer, a big hero of mine, wrote the words. And Buck Dharma... He sings it, plays lead guitar, and that was a huge hero for D. Boone. Big inspiration to him. We loved the Oyster Cult when we were young. Especially the uh, first uh, three albums and that live one after. Uh, on your feet or on your knees. The amazing blue Oyster Cult. <laughs> anyway, uh... There's not a whole lot of talking on this edition. Just some self-spiel from what. I'm missing Brother Matt, you know. I like bouncing off of him by myself. I feel self-conscious and ridiculous. But I'm missing his spin cycle, too. Next week, uh, well, I'm back, and we'll be uh, at the Love Grotto on the Pleasure Point, of course. Um, I hope you enjoyed the spiel with Nels Klein. Can't say enough about that man. A pretty incredible uh, cat in my musical universe. I'm going to be playing with him in Hollywood uh, March 3rd in The Missing Men. Hope that's it for the January 18th edition, the 2007 of the Watt from Pedro show. Keep your powder dry. <laughs>